There are 11 warriors. Yes, they are the 11 warriors. The most disciplined and the toughest damn dudes you're ever going to be around. Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Andy Anders as the 2023 college football season is now complete and the worst nightmares of Ohio State fans has come true as Michigan <laughs> is the national champion of college football for the first time since 1997. The Wolverines have won it all. I uh, can't say I'm surprised. I mean, I did, I did pick it uh, before the season started. I picked Michigan Women National Championship. Uh, certainly uh, was an interesting ride along the way for the Wolverines, but ultimately Michigan coming out on top as the best team in college football for the 2023 season. And uh, another year where I think if you're an Ohio State fan, you could watch that national championship game and come out of it thinking, what could have been? Because, you know, obviously last year, Ohio State goes toe-to-toe with Georgia, you know, loses at the very end of a game. If Ohio State won that game, it was probably going to beat TCU in the national title. Not a little bit more of a stretch to, to go there this year because obviously Ohio State missed the college ball playoff. Obviously, we saw what happened with Ohio State's offensive line in the Cotton Bowl. If Ohio State's offensive line had played like that against Alabama, then Alabama probably would have been playing in the national championship game on Monday night. But nevertheless, Ohio State was was just a couple plays away from beating Michigan. I mean, if Kyle McCord doesn't get hit as he's throwing the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. on the final drive of a game, you know, maybe that's a big play. Maybe Ohio State scores a touchdown. Maybe Ohio State beats Michigan and Ohio State is the number one seed in the college ball playoff and Michigan's the team playing in the Cotton Bowl. So, you know, it's a game of inches in college football, and a lot of times it comes down to razor-thin margins between your season being a great success or, in Ohio State's case, uh, what is considered to be a failure. And uh, the almost doesn't really matter. What, what ultimately matters is whether you actually accomplish the goal, and Ohio State did not do that. But I ask you, Andy, to see Michigan win the national championship and play as well as it did in the college football playoffs and prove that it actually was the best team in college football this year. Does that make you feel better or worse about how Ohio State season played out? You know, I, I think better, probably. It's it's a weird, you know, it's a weird mixture of emotions, you know, on, on the one hand, it does, you know, there, I think there was some reservation on people's part saying that, you know, oh, this Michigan team isn't actually that good. Oh, you know, this, that, the other. I, I think in this stretch, they definitely proved they're the best team in the country. I don't think it's really that arguable at this point. People can say whatever they want about cheating or whatever else. Connor Stallions wasn't employed during their uh, biggest games of the year. And, uh, you know, this, I think they proved they were the best team in college football. So ultimately losing to the best team in college football on the road by six points, not really that much of an indictment on Ryan Day and his program. Now it's Michigan and you lost three times in a row to this team. And I think the last two years of results before this, the 2021 and 2022 seasons, when you really got blown out by Michigan, kind of feed into that like if this were a one-off and Ohio State had won and say last year and 
you know, then they go to Ann Arbor and lose to the eventual national championship champion this year. I think there's a lot less steam behind that loss than there is now because they've the last couple of years have been what they've been, you know. Um, but you're right. It's it was a game that, uh, you know, we we said it at the time. It came down to just a few plays here and there. You know, I've seen Marvin Harrison Jr. score on that play before, uh, you know, where Kyle McCord was hit and it ultimately became an interception. Uh, he was definitely open and uh, that probably at least gets you down close to the red zone. So, uh, you know, Ohio State was right on the doorstep there in that game. And um, I, I think there is... I don't know how much solace Ohio State fans are going to take in that because, you know, your your tribal just won the ultimate prize. And in many ways, you know, Michigan won is kind of the sentiment that you just come away with this as, at least from my end, is, you know, that's it, that's all I had, need to describe what has happened with this season for Michigan is that all the noise, the suspensions, the allegations, the, you know, scandal, the, you know, even some other stuff that happened with that program, with Chris Partridge being fired, with uh, the allegations they had going back to last year about Jim Harbaugh covering up recruiting violations, potentially, you know, allegedly. All this stuff, they won. They won. They won the ultimate goal. They won what everyone wants. And even if this title gets vacated, I don't think it takes much luster of, off of it if you're a Michigan fan. This... Uh, yeah, they won. They won the national title. They have not only taken hold of the rivalry over Ohio State, they have now achieved more in the Ryan Day era than Ohio State has, which I think is another big step for them in the rivalry. Uh, so definitely a lot of feelings coming out of this game and a lot of thoughts for Ohio State fans. But, you know, in the end, I do want to just give credit to Michigan. They fought through a lot. They were the best team in college football this year. And I might, I may sound like, oh, you know, I'm a... I'm switching sides or whatever, but it's it's just the fact you have to recognize a good team when it's out there. And Michigan had a great team this year. Yeah, I mean, you can argue, oh, they 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 cheated. That's the only reason for success. But to me, I feel like what they did down the stretch run kind of invalidated that argument. Like, yeah, I mean, you could argue that they were still benefiting against Ohio State from intel that Connor Stallions might have gained earlier in the year. I don't think you can argue if they beat Alabama and Washington because of a guy who was fired from the program before Ohio State had any idea or Michigan had any idea that it would be playing Alabama and Washington. And so, you know, like you said, I mean, it's still a possibility that this national title gets vacated. I think we both expect that there's going to be some form of sanctions coming Michigan's way. I don't know that that will necessarily be part of it, but I think we do both expect that there will be uh, some kind of sanctions coming Michigan's way and plenty of questions just in general for Michigan coming off of this season. I think the biggest one now being Will Jim Harbaugh still be Michigan's coach next year? Because there's been a lot of rumors about the possibility that he might want to go back to the NFL. He has not answered any questions directly when he's been asked about it. And, you know, if, if there was ever a time for him to make that jump, now would probably be that time, right? You, you, you just accomplished the biggest goal that you had at Michigan. You know, you, you, you proved it. You know, the, the last two years before this, Michigan were certainly successful seasons. They beat Ohio State. They won the Big Ten. They made it to the college ball playoff. But, you know, if, if he had left last year when he was flirting with the NFL or a year before when he was flirting with the NFL, there, I think there still would have been that perception of, 
he can't win the big one in college and now he's running now now if he leaves it's going to be well he knows sanctions are coming so he's running from those but you know i think jim harbaugh probably if he if getting back to the nfl is a goal for him you know he probably feels uh, a lot of peace in being able to do that based on the fact that he accomplished the big goal for michigan and uh, winning a national championship there. And so, you know, lots of questions for Michigan going into next year. You know, we don't know if Jim Harbaugh will still be the coach. We know they have a lot of seniors that are going to be moving on from the program. You know, players like J.J. McCarthy who have NFL decisions to make. And so, uh, you know, certainly I think Ohio State fans, uh, you know, it it wasn't that long ago that there was a a segment of uh, the Ohio State fan base. I think we probably both would have said, you know, four or five years ago, we wanted to see Michigan get better just to bring some more juice back to that rivalry. But now I think if you're uh, anyone affiliated with Ohio State, you're hoping that uh, this is the peak for Michigan and that you know they start to come back down to earth from here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I don't think you, you want them to go up and, and uh, become a dynasty from here, right? And, uh, you know, Harbaugh, you can never really tell what his future plans are in these regards. I mean, he's flirted with the NFL so many times. He's, you know, in general, he's just a hard person to read. And, you know, I don't think that's necessarily anything against him. It's his approach. It's clearly what he's done and what he's built at Michigan and a culture that he established. I mean, you look at the progression of just how Michigan achieved this national championship. And, you know, I don't want... I don't want to turn into the guy that's just fawning over Michigan here, but uh, every year since the COVID, they've taken a step. You know, first it was beating in Ohio, Ohio State, and you know, making the playoffs, and now you finally win a game in the playoffs, and you ultimately win the national championship. And after how Harbaugh's tenure started in terms of not being able to achieve any of those goals, beating Ohio State, competing for Big Ten titles, so on and so forth. I mean, for so long, the the whole meme was that he he couldn't get higher than third in the Big Ten East, right? That was uh, that was a thing that happened forever with Michigan, and then now finally he's broken through there and patience has paid off for that program when you talk about him. So now what does he do next and what does it look like next year? I I do think, you know, when you look at the construction of this roster, as you mentioned, Dan, they're going to lose a lot of seniors, a lot of really key pieces from this title winning squad. Uh, JJ McCarthy has his NFL decision to make him going pro would be a huge loss and they really haven't recruited that well, but you know, I, I don't, think they've necessarily been home run hitters in the past. They've had some better classes that were the core pieces of this championship team here, but they, you know, they've made a habit of developing and finding some good three-star talents. So I'll be very curious to see where they're at next year. I expect them to take a step back, you know, with those pieces they're losing and with the sanctions that are probably going to be handed down in the offseason. I think we both expect something to come of it, whether that's, you know, loss of scholarships, whether that's vacated wins, who's to say there's going to be a lot of noise. But, you know, I, I think I, I always think back to the Rams, the Rams who won a Super Bowl against, you know, my beloved Bengals. They sold their future off to win a, to win that ring. They did. They, you know, they mortgaged all multiple years of first round draft picks to go out and get Matthew Stafford. And you ask any fan of any sports team out there, you get one. It doesn't matter. You you win a championship. It really the cost could be almost anything. You win a championship. 
I don't think there's any Michigan fan. They could they could get football suspended next year. Totally. And I think 99% of them would say worth it. You know, so they won. That's I said it earlier. They won. Michigan won. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole point of the enterprise, right? Is to to win a national championship. I remember my, my dad and I were actually just talking about that um, a while back. They had done a poll on NFL Network. I believe he said it was there. It was, you know, how would you, you know, rather win a national championship and be bad or the next year? Or would you rather just be consistently good? And it was something like 86% said they'd, they'd win that one Super Bowl no matter what. And so, yeah, that's the whole point of the endeavor. I mean, that's for reason why, as we now flip this thing back to Ohio State, there's angst in Columbus because Ohio State has now gone nine years without achieving that ultimate goal of winning a national championship. When, you know, when Ohio State won the first college football playoff in 2014 with Urban Meyer, I don't think any Ohio State fan envisioned at that time that now a decade later, Ohio State would still be chasing another one. It seemed like Ohio State was was primed to to you know be in that mix every year. And granted, they have been in that mix every year, but they haven't been able to get back to that mountaintop, which tells you how hard it is. But I, I think when you look at you know this Michigan national title and you look at what happened on Monday night, I think that only underscores even more what priority number one for Ohio State is next year. And that's beat Michigan. You, you see it based on what happened this year that, you know, we, you t- we, we've talked about it before, but, you know, beating Michigan is, is prerequisite to, to the second and third goals of winning the Big Ten and winning the national championship. And you really saw that play out this year in terms of, you know, the, beat, losing to Michigan, cost them a chance to go to Big Ten Championship game. It cost them a chance to go to the college football playoff. And they lost to the team that ultimately would have been its biggest hurdle along the way to winning a national championship. And so it all starts there for Ohio State going forward to next year. The equation's going to look a little different next year because you know we're, we're not going to be talking about it in terms of that one game is going to make or break whether or not Ohio State makes the college football playoff. With the college football playoff expanding to 12 teams, I think it's pretty safe to say if Ohio State goes 10-2, and two, it's going to make the CFP. So Ohio, it, it, that game is not going to be a must-win game next year in the sense of that one game determines whether or not Ohio State goes to the college football playoff unless Ohio State loses once or twice before it. But it, it's still unquestionably, you know, the most important game for Ohio State in 2024. It, it could be the game that determines whether or not Ryan Day is still Ohio State's coach in 2025. And if Ohio State needed any more motivation to flip the script in 2024, I don't think they could have gotten any more motivation than watching Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines lift up the national championship trophy on Monday night. No, hard to imagine a scenario where they get more uh, for that. You know, it, it's it's a uh, seeing your most hated enemy achieve everything they ever wanted. Uh, that that has to incite some anger, you would think, uh, with within Ohio State's players. And you know, I I go back to to you know talking to Jack Sawyer in the lead up to the cotton bowl and his um, one of the things I had asked him about was, 
you know, and as we've seen that 2021 recruiting class, the rising senior class for Ohio State, a lot of them with NFL draft stock have made the decision to come back. We'll get into more of that later. But, you know, this drive, they've noticed what's happened at Michigan, where a lot of Michigan players, Blake Corum being a prime example on this year's team, who have NFL draft stock, who could be, you know, maybe day two picks or even higher than that. You know, they make the decision to come back for another year contend and achieve these goals as a team you know and michigan this was a super senior related team for that reason you know guys with nfl draft potential decided to stick around and i think just how emphatic jack was in answering it yeah that's something that we've seen that motivates us maybe to as a collective to consider coming back at that time now a lot of them are coming back i think it it, it speaks volumes to the fact that you know ohio state really wants to correct course really wants is, is highly motivated this year to um right the wrongs of now three years running so They've done a lot of things, I think, to start addressing that here in January. Um, and you've seen that motivation. Uh, you know, I, I think there's a couple more areas that are still going to need to be addressed. But uh, where it is right now, I do think that it's also no coincidence that, you know, Dan talking about those changes, Ohio State on national championship night got a pretty big land from the transfer portal and Quinshawn Judkins. I don't think it was a coincidence that it was announced three minutes after the final whistle blew in that national title game. No, I, I do not think it was a coincidence. Uh, a pretty great PR move there from Ohio state. If they were able to orchestrate Quinshawn Judkins announcing his commitment immediately after Michigan won the national championship. Uh, but certainly a, a good way to uh, immediately get Ohio State fans thinking about something other than Michigan winning the national championship. And we'll do the same here on the show now. And we'll talk about uh, some of those big moves Ohio State has made in the portal. And certainly if we want to start with Quinshawn Judkins, uh, I mean, I, I think out of all the moves Ohio State has made in the portal so far. This is, you know, this is like this is like the wow move. This is like the boom move. Obviously, Will Howard gets a lot of the attention, and we talked about him a little bit last week. We'll talk about him more in a few minutes because certainly he is going to be as important as any of these transfer additions in Ohio State's success uh, in 2024. But you know, I think adding Quinshawn Judkins when there still appears to be a very real chance that Travion Henderson will stay at Ohio State for his senior season. That's the kind of power move, but I don't know that we've really seen Ohio State make that much in the transfer portal. Like we've seen them make moves to address obvious needs, but to go and get a two-time All-SEC running back at a position where you might still also have one of the best players in the country returning from your own roster last season. Those are the kind of moves that I think Ohio State fans have been hungry to see Ryan Day make more of in this quest to get back to the mountaintop and be the best team in college football. You know, these are the kind of moves that Ohio State has to make when they present themselves. And, you know, it, it certainly did in this case, as it seems like you know, once Quinshawn Judkins entered the transfer portal, he had his sights set on becoming a Buckeye. You know, Ohio State brought in a couple 
other Ole Miss transfers last year in Davis and Igbenosin and Taiwan Malone, and I'm sure that those guys were really selling him on the prospect of coming to Ohio State. And even though Travion Henderson is still considering the possibility of coming back, that didn't deter Quinshawn Judkins from joining the Buckeyes. And we'll see here over the next week what Travion Henderson ultimately decides as the NFL draft deadline is on Monday. But if Travion Henderson stays for his senior year and then you add Quinshawn Judkins, I think Ohio State's going to have the best one-two punch at a running back position in college football in 2024. Well, the only question then becomes who's going to block for him, I guess. Uh, I, I think it's a shock that, you know, to me that they're willing to share carries like that. Although I guess in the modern age, you know, the argument is, of course, save your body for the league. And I think a lot of NFL teams now, the way running back is kind of viewed as a position in the league, how it's been devalued. One of the reasons for it is durability. That position takes so many hits. Guys get injured. They aren't what they want once were. So I, I think the amount of carries is something a lot of NFL teams look at for running backs and say, oh, this guy's had too much usage. We might not get as much value out of him. So I think there is like in terms of draft stock, you know, it, it's kind of a catch 22 sometimes, too, because, you know, you, you've got to put enough on the field to have that great draft stock. Right. But uh, also have a limited enough number of touches that you're you're not putting all that wear and tear on your body. NFL teams are seeing that, et cetera, so forth. I think that it's, you know, obviously if Ohio State does get both backs, like you said, I think that's the best one-two running back tandem in the country. I'm of the opinion Travion Henderson's the best running back in the country, period, if he comes back next year. Quinshawn Judkins is a guy who rushed for almost 1,600 yards as a freshman and almost 1,200 yards this year. Really, uh, again, it's just the, the production the dynamic abilities of both. I, I think they have kind of complementary running styles a little bit too, where, you know, Quinshawn's a little more downhill and Travion's a home run hitter. Not that Quinshawn can't be explosive too, but there's, I, it, it's just a one, two tandem that it's hard to poke any holes in it. Um, but like I was saying, you know, offensive line, who's blocking for him. We saw in that cotton bowl um, that, you know, this is a, an area that Ohio State should probably address and be aggressive in the transfer portal. You could sit back and say there's five maybe offensive linemen on the roster that if you lined them up left to right, say, yeah, I could develop them into being a solid line. I think you and I both have the same starting five for next year as it stands for Ohio State. Had they not added any transfers of left tackle Josh Simmons, who made some progress at the end of the year, if Donovan Jackson ultimately comes back, you would have him at left guard, of course. Carson Hensman, after what happened before that Cotton Bowl, don't know what his long-term future is really, but he would still be your center next year if all things stayed as they are. Slide Fryer into right guard because you and I, I think, both saw that he just didn't handle speed rushes off the edge so much, but he had more punch in the run game, made more sense at guard. And then Luke Montgomery rising as a sophomore to take over that right tackle spot. That's a line that you could see developing into something decent, but I think the important thing is that Ohio State needs to be aggressive in the transfer portal to create competition. Because behind those five, I don't know that there's a lot of names you can point to. Enoch Vamahi, just, again, great guy mentioned it on the last podcast great guy but not an ohio state caliber offensive guard after five years clearly in that cotton bowl so you know th those are kind of the top candidates you're working with outside that so 
Ohio State getting a nice early addition in terms of the offensive line from the transfer portal in Seth McLaughlin. All that to all that to ramp up to the Seth McLaughlin addition there, right? Um, a guy who is a phenomenal pass protector, I think. Uh, has some work to do in the run game, but very capable there. I think a lot. There's the main drawback from Ohio State fans is, of course, watching that semifinal against Michigan, seeing him botch umpteen snaps and end up you know, hurting his team in that regard. Um, you, know, you never point one finger and say, oh, a guy cost a team the game. But like he, his, his snapping was an issue uh, in that one. And you never want snapping to be an issue with a center. He could play guard though. Um, and you wonder if that's a consideration the coaching staff has for him. If they still like Hensman for next year, if they like how Josh Padilla is coming along, there's different options at center for Ohio state. But I think McLaughlin is going to, I think that McLaughlin's not transferring to Ohio state thinking he's going to be a backup next year. He's probably a starter at either center or guard, or at least going to be in the thick of those competitions. Um, and, and like I said, I think it's hard to get elite O-line talent from the portal because it's such a premium position. But if you get guys like McLaughlin who can at least come in and compete for these jobs and create, you know, a breeding ground competition breeds success. That's the old say saying that's how you can really address the offensive line going into the spring. Yeah, I would expect Seth McLaughlin to be a starter next year, and I'd expect him to be the starting center. He's he's told multiple people that, you know, he he was brought in to play center, but Justin Fry's told him that he's going to play center. And so, uh, you know, obviously, you know, the snapping is something that's a concern based on how that game went in the Rose Bowl, but it, it doesn't sound like that deterred Ohio State in its pursuit. I mean, it certainly didn't look like it did because Ohio State went after him almost immediately after he entered the portal. You know, probably, uh, you know, it's probably something where, you know, Ohio State fans uh, probably watched that game, like you said, on Monday and were probably some of them, you know, making fun of a guy and, uh, you know, mocking how, you know, much he struggled with the snapping in that game. And then by the end of a week, it's, oh, now he's our starting center. So, uh, you know, let's hope that he plays better next year against Michigan. But if nothing else, he's going to come in as motivated as anybody on that team to get revenge against Michigan next year. Yeah, he's he's going to already have that internal hatred of Michigan, even though he hasn't played at Ohio State because uh, he, he just had his season uh, get ended in a bad way by uh, the Wolverines. And so, you know, certainly he'll have that motivation. And like you said, I think, you know, to hyper focus on one bad game, I mean, we 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 try not to do that when we talk about Ohio State players. So we shouldn't do that when we're talking about a transfer either. Bad games happen. It, it's something uh, to work through. And, you know, I think realistically, I think adding a center was a need because if Ohio State really felt good about Carson Hinsman right now, he would not have gotten benched and played zero snaps in the Cotton Bowl. Like the fact that they benched him and then didn't even think about putting him in when things were going terribly on the offensive line would tell you that Carson Hinsman has some work to do if he's going to get back into the starting lineup at Ohio State. And so, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, that lineup that you're talking about, you know, I, I would expect Seth McLaughlin to be the starting center. You know, like you said, if, if, you know, something else plays out, you know, he gives him another option at guard as well. So that's a good thing. But I, I do think it's most likely that he will be that starting center. Uh, you know, I think assuming Donovan Jackson stays, 
he's going to be the left guard again. Uh, I think that, you know, unless Ohio State can land a premier tackle in the portal, which it hasn't yet. I mean, it's, it's looked at a couple guys. It, it did bring in Derek Graham from Troy for a visit last week, but he ended up committing to Texas A&M. And I'm not sure there's really anybody left in the portal at this point in this window who is a real targeted offensive tackle at this point. And so you could find yourself in a very similar position to last year where Ohio State goes through the spring and sees what it has and then looks if it needs to go get a tackle in the post-spring window like it did last year with Josh Simmons. And I'm not sure that running back what what you did last year is necessarily an ideal situation, but it might be the situation that Ohio State is in right now. But you know, if Ohio State does not add any more transfer offensive linemen, then I do think it's likely that Josh Simmons will be the starting left tackle. And I do agree with you that I think moving Josh Fryer to right guard makes the most sense right now based on the current makeup of a roster. I do think that, you know, Luke Montgomery, if he develops the way you expect from year one to year two, uh, is going to be a strong candidate for that right tackle job next season. I don't, I don't rule out Tegra Shibola in the mix at either right guard or right tackle either. We saw him actually take over that sixth, sixth offensive lineman role that Montgomery had played during the regular season in the Cotton Bowl. So I think he's a guy who could be a factor at potentially either guard or tackle in that competition next year too. But, uh, you know, like you said, I mean, they, they should be continuing to look at who's in the portal and the offensive line if, if, not now, then they should be looking again in the spring and trying to bolster that competition because uh, certainly the play of that unit this past season was not good enough. Uh, it certainly was the reason why they lost uh, the, the final game of the season against Missouri. And so uh, Ohio State needs to be better in that regard and it needs to be uh, considering all options for how it can improve its offensive line going into 2024. Yeah, and you know, like you, I do expect McLaughlin to play center more than I expect him to play guard. Um, I I think his pass protection skill in particular makes this a great addition when you talk about the lapses they had in the Cotton Bowl specifically. Having that guy to set the pocket, uh, set the protections is super important, and having experience in the SEC and dealing with those kinds of defensive fronts, setting protections against that, very valuable. So that's, you know, another reason you like the McLaughlin edition. Um, yeah, across the board, you know, I think Tager is a guy you look at um, for either of those and, you know, a very physically gifted player. Um, you, oh, I want to, I definitely am interested to see where Luke Montgomery's at, you know, um, year one to year two offensive line development can be funky. Sometimes it takes a while. Um, you know, I, I know I just mentioned, I think Luke, there's a good chance he's a starting right tackle as it currently stands. But, uh, you know, there's there's going to be some competition there. Zin Mahalski might also get another shot to compete for it. You know, he was in the mix this past spring, kind of faded from the bunch afterward. But, you know, didn't don't really expect him to get too involved just based on how last year played out. But still a guy that, you know, was right in that mix this this year. But, you know, it, this conversation all stands stems from the transfers and, you know, Wanted to also want to circle back to the biggest, most important transfer Ohio State got probably, and that's Will Howard, who's going to be the starting quarterback in 
all likelihood there still might be a competition there with Evan Brown, but I think Howard is coming in to win the starting job and try to get this team to where it wants to go. You know, and I, I think we've had a little more time to evaluate Howard since the last time, you know, and we, we've talked to our, our resident film expert, Kyle Jones, on the matter as well, kind of in our, our work groups. Just, Dan, well, what's your overall assessment here of what Ohio State's getting with Will Howard? And, and how do you see him kind of influencing the quarterback room right away? I mean, I think the good news is this is a guy who's got a lot of experience. Uh, he started 27 games at Kansas State. Uh, so, you know, y- you've got a lot of experience to work with. Uh, he's got a track record of winning big games. He led Kansas State to the Big 12 championship two years ago, was an all Big 12 player of his past season. I think, you know, when you compare him to what Ohio State had last year and Kyle McCord, you know, I, I can't sit here and say he's a clear upgrade over Kyle McCord, at least in terms of a passer, because the statistics weren't there. Now, granted, Statistics can be misleading. It helps your completion percentage when you're throwing the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. Will Howard did not have any receiver of that caliber at Kansas State. And so uh, you can't just look at the stats and say, well, Kyle McCord's a better passer than Will Howard. There's a lot of things that go into that. And it's now it's projecting how will Will Howard's skill set translate into playing into uh, the Ohio State offense. And I certainly think he has the potential uh, to put up bigger numbers at Ohio State than he ever did at Kansas State. Again, we, like with the running backs, a lot of it's going to depend on that offensive line, though. How much, uh, how good is that protection going to be? Because I know his receivers at Ohio State are going to be better than they were at Kansas State. I don't know if his offensive line is going to be better. That's, that's going to be a factor in all of this. But, you know, I think a couple things that you look at that are definite positives for Will Howard is. One, what he can do with his legs. You know, he's run for almost a thousand yards in his uh, college career. He has double digit rushing touchdowns. And, you know, obviously that was something that, you know, Kyle McCord did not bring to the offense. Uh, I think, you know, Will Howard's going to be able to bring that running threat as well as just that ability to extend plays more as a passer uh, to the offense. And, and it, in turn of that, too, if you look at the statistics, you know, the advanced stats for those guys at quarterback. One area where Will does stand out in, in comparison to Kyle is his passing under pressure. He was more effective under pressure and against the blitz than Kyle McCord was last year. And so uh, when you think about an offensive line that remains a question mark, that's certainly a positive that he seems to be maybe a little more comfortable under pressure you know, keeping his mechanics about him when there's pressure in his face. And so I think those are all good things. You know, as we've said before, I mean, I, I'm not going to just sit here and say, oh, this is a clear home run for Ohio State. He's going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the country just because he, he committed to Ohio State. I think we have to take more of a wait and see approach with this. And and I, and I, I say that to preface what I'm going to say next, because I don't want anyone to think, but I'm I'm coming in here and saying, Will Howard's going to be Joe Burrow. But there are plenty of examples of quarterbacks with experience like a Will Howard taking that big leap, you know, as a fifth-year senior like he is. And so you you look at what a Joe Burrow did at LSU. You look at what Jaden Daniels did at LSU this past year. I think just the fact that he has that experience is a big 
thing here. And if you just look at Ohio State's transfer strategy so far in general, what's the one thing that all four players Ohio State has added through the transfer portal have in common? One, they're on the offensive side of the ball. Two, they all have a lot of playing experience. You know, Will Howard, Quinchon Judkins, Seth McLaughlin, and Will Kazmarek, the tight end from Ohio. And I think all that in general tells you that Ohio State recognizes it needs immediate help on offense for next season. The way that this past season unfolded, as well as some of the attrition they've had via the transfer portal and the draft, it needs ready-made players to come in on the offense and to be able to make an immediate impact right away. I think all four of those players are either going to be starters or they're going to play a lot for Ohio State in 2024. I think Ohio State needed that, and it certainly started at the quarterback position. Yes, and you know, I, I think going back to whether it's a clear upgrade over McCord, it was funny because you know I, I have a very similar thought process that you have as a thrower. I don't think it's been proven out yet. My friends very staunch, staunchly disagreed with me um, when I was saying that in our group chat because they, uh, you know, I, shout out to any of them if they're listening. I uh, I, I kind of said that you know outside the legs, I I don't know if it's a clear upgrade. And they were all emphatic about it. And it's just, you look at the numbers and, you know, again, Will Howard inarguably going to be throwing to better receivers this year. He's also going to be player playing against better defenses. The Big Ten's defenses are a clear step above the Big 12s. Um, so I think you've got to take that into account too. Although overall, I think the weapons boost things more than the defenses negate it. Will Howard only had 7.4 yards per attempt, which is kind of one of the main elementary statistics you look at when it comes to quarterbacks. And Kyle McCord was a whole 1.7 yards above that at 9.1 this season. Uh, you know, threw for almost 600 more yards and 20, both had 24 touchdowns, but Will Howard had an additional four interceptions. Experience is never a drawback, but you know, there are also examples of it not working out where an experienced quarterback transfers to a program thinking he's going to start and doesn't end up or either doesn't play up to the expectations of it uh, that he had coming in or doesn't even win the starting job. And I think the number one case of that this year was Spencer Sanders going from Oklahoma State to Ole Miss, ultimately only throwing 29 passes across the course of the season. Uh, you know, so there are, I think it's a case by case situation. And it makes a lot of sense because Ryan Day, this is the first quarterback Ryan Day has coached as a head coach at least he had JT Barrett for a year but coached as a head coach that has this level of experience and I think there's a certain level of conversation that can happen behind the scenes between someone who's got all the quarterback knowledge that they has and someone with more experience like Will Howard so I'm interested to see how that dynamic plays um, but also getting another mobile quarterback you know Ohio State hasn't had one really that was willing to run as much as Will Howard will be since Justin Fields. So that is also something that can help open up the run game even more for Travion Henderson and Quinshawn Judkins and also give you more options in scramble situations. Like you said, he was better against the Blitz. I don't think that's a coincidence when you look at his feet. Um, and again, the experience helps with that. You know, there's also been some Will Howard clips that I've seen where he makes some boneheaded interceptions. I think that, um, you know, interceptions that look similar to some interceptions that Kyle McCourt threw this year. So there's 
I, I don't think he's coming in as polished and as perfected as people want to think. Um, I think there's going to be a step he has to take this year to get to that Ohio State caliber that people want and expect from him. He's got a winning mentality. Uh, again, in the words of my friends, one of the one phrase that one my one buddy just kept saying was, "He's a dog." That's 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 it. He's a dog. They just like his mentality and his approach to the game. But you know, I think that can only take you so far. So uh, he's got to take that next step. But I do think he's coming in ready to do so and understanding that you know this is the next level of college football. You're competing against. Uh, you're playing a whole different game at Ohio State than Kansas State. So um, I, I I think it's going to be a very fun time to watch his development, see where he's at through the spring game, and then see how he develops through fall camp and in the early weeks of next season. As we mentioned, all the transfer additions so far have been on offense. Initially, when the portal first opened, it looked like Ohio State was looking more on the defensive side of the ball. They hosted a few uh, visitors during the month of December, and they were all on defense. But those players have all gone elsewhere, and it, it doesn't really seem like Ohio State has ramped up its pursuit too much of other defensive targets over the last week or two another player who we thought you know might end up at ohio state tackett curtis the usc linebacker transfer he ended up at wisconsin and so uh it's it's uncertain whether ohio state you know is going to add any defensive transfers in this first window and i i think some of that has to do with the fact that we've seen a good amount of defensive players already commit to coming back for next season jack sawyer tyleek williams Cody Simon, Leif and Ransom, you know, we're, uh, you know, at some point today, maybe before you're listening to this, Denzel Burke will uh, announce a decision on his future. We're not sure which way that's going, but if he comes back, that would certainly be big. You know, JT Tuamolowau still waiting on his final decision. Jordan Hancock still waiting on his final decision. But if you get all those guys back, you don't really need to add a whole lot from the transfer portal now. When I look at the roster, I think the, the one question mark I have right now is I, 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 I look at linebacker. I look at, specifically, I look at will linebacker and free safety. Those are kind of the two positions I look at where I'm not exactly sure what, what, the, what it's going to look like in 2024. You know, I figure, you know, up front, you know, Jack Sawyer. Tyleek Williams, Ty Hamilton, those are going to be for your starters. JT will be the fourth starter if he stays. Cody Simon's going to be one of your starting linebackers. You know, Denzel Burke, Jordan Hancock, if they stay, they'll be the same starters at corner with Davis and Igbenosin. Lathan Ransom is going to be one of your starters at safety. Sonny Styles is going to be a starter. When I look at the fact that they haven't really started pursuing another linebacker, and then you bring back Leif and Ransom at the position that I think we thought Sonny Styles would move into playing next year. I do wonder if that gives more reason for Ohio State to think about potentially moving Sonny Styles to linebacker because I don't think Sonny Styles was great in the last couple games of the year. Um, I, 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 you know, they, I thought last year they would move Leif and Ransom to free safety and put Sonny Styles at strong safety. So they could still do that. I still think Sonny Styles, even as a safety, has very high upside. But I do wonder, just based on the fact that there's also seemingly been some talk about 
maybe CJ Hicks isn't a full-time will linebacker. Maybe he's somebody they want to find a different role for. I do wonder if maybe they move Sonny Styles to, to plug that hole at linebacker. And then maybe a guy like a Malik Hartford or a Jihad Carter has more of a chance to fill that other spot at deep safety. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen on that, but that's maybe the biggest question I have right now in terms of the defensive roster construct, aside from guys who haven't yet announced their NFL decisions, because I do think between linebacker will linebacker and free safety, those are kind of the two positions that would be question marks right now where Ohio state needs to determine whether a, it has the players it needs on its roster or B, if it needs to go to the portal and add someone else to compete for a starting job there. Yeah, I, you know, I, I really think that Will right now is Sonny's best position just based on the way he closed the year. You know, he didn't look comfortable in the open field down the stretch. And I, I think it was almost a regression from what we saw earlier in the year when he was playing nickel, at least around the box. He could really, you know, he could still be that impact of the run game maybe cover some tight ends from time to time and let Jordan handle slot guys. When he moved back to deep safety, you know, it, the the big games they played down the stretch, he, Sonny admitted that he played poorly against Michigan. And, and that Missouri game, I mean, his pursuit angles were not good uh, when Brady Cook broke broke free and scrambled uh, in certain situations of that game. Uh, and, you know, he got beat on a coverage one time. Now, it, it was a deep ball where the receiver ran from one side of the field to the other and got behind Sonny. It's hard on that play because, you know, Denzel talked about it after the game, Denzel Burke, where Missouri ran a, a it was a very good scheme by Missouri where they had a bunch of players in front of Sonny, kind of creating some confusion. And then you run that deep route in behind him where it's, he never can really see it. So it's not all on Sonny that play is, but it still speaks to, I, I think he doesn't have the same range, the same maybe twitch, the same athleticism that, you know, either was once thought or that he maybe entered Ohio State with um, before. And you know, just in the open field, I'm saying. But he still has a great twitch for a linebacker, uh, for what would be a linebacker. He still has, you know, a great range for what... If you put him at will, he'd be a super athletic, but still physically tough, hard-hitting guy. I think that's the best use of his skill set as it stands right now because he's kind of bulked up a little bit since he came to Ohio State. And I think it's shown in the fact that he just doesn't move as well in the ranges that a safety has to. CJ Hicks, might we see the Jack position resurrected? You know, that's that's a question I have because I think right now that's the best fit for CJ's skill set. I mean, the couple of snaps we saw him in the Cotton Bowl, he looked a step behind playing from the Will linebacker spot. So do you slide him down and make him that sort of Will Anderson type off the edge? I don't know. Um, they haven't. They obviously didn't use the position this past year. We've yet to see a linebacker really even deployed because it was Jack Sawyer um, that primarily took those Jack reps in 2022. So uh, it, I, I'm, we, knew, we know that CJ was working at the spot going into this fall, maybe even through fall camp, but again, just never really took the step at will linebacker, never really saw the field at Jack at all, maybe saw Mitchell Melton a couple of times just in garbage time, but there, there that Jack position has not really been 
any sort of factor in the Ohio State defense this year. Now, Knowles has changed his scheme year to year, so maybe it, I think some of it's going to hinge on JT Tuimolowal's decision too, because if you have Jack and JT back, then what use is there for a Jack? Like, just stick with the fourth, the four, two, five you've been running and let those guys eat off the edge, you know? And you also have Kenyatta Jackson uh, potentially and Caden Curry coming. Uh, up the ranks too so they have a lot of great defensive ends and i think that's why the, the jack position is taking such a backseat but if you want cj hicks on the field and it doesn't look like he was ready at linebacker at the end of the year not from what we saw in the cotton bowl and not from his lack of usage throughout the season um that might be the spot for him especially if you think about moving Sonny to will as i think might be the best fit for his skill set yeah and i think to be fair i mean it's it's a very small sample size we've seen of CJ Hicks. So, you know, I'm certainly not writing off CJ Hicks. I mean, I think both those guys in general, like we should be clear, like they're really talented dudes. They were yes, top yes. 10 overall recruits in their class. I yes. still think both of them have the potential to be very good players at Ohio State. But I do think one of the bigger questions for the defensive coaching staff to tackle this offseason is figuring out how to best utilize those guys' talent. Because now that they're going into their third year at Ohio State, this is a year where you really expect both of those guys to be impact players. And I don't think it's quite crystal clear, even to Jim Knowles right now, what exactly is the best use of those guys' skill sets. Now, part of the question is also going to be, who else is involved in those decisions? Because... Ohio State could maybe have a new linebackers coach if it promotes James Laurinaitis. Ohio State will have a new safeties coach because, uh, and what I, I, I cannot say that either of us were expecting, uh, the first official coaching staff move for Ohio State of this offseason was Ohio State opting to move on from Perry Eliano after just two seasons as the Buckeyes safeties coach. And I think, you know, if we had been setting odds for who would be the Ohio State first Ohio State coach to lose their job from last season. I think Parker Fleming would have been very much in the minus on those odds. And I think Corey Dennis probably would have been uh, the only ever coach on the board with maybe Justin Fry having some long shot odds. Uh, I, you know, I, I didn't have it on my radar as, as Perry Eliano being a coach who is not going to be back for next season. But you know, we have seen Ryan Day do this before. You know, I think but, but my first thought was, man, I mean, Ohio State just had the best pass defense in the country and they're firing the safeties coach. But you think back to after the 2021 season, Ohio State led the country in points and yards per game that season and still fired Griggs to draw. So, you know, that this is, you know, it, it goes back to what we talked about last week when we're talking about Ryan Day's job potentially being on the line, even though Ohio State went 11 and 2. That's how high the expectations are at Ohio State. You're expected to be the absolute best in the country. All the coaches are. And if you aren't at that standard, uh, Ohio State you know, might look at making a change. And it appears you know, that's what Ohio State has done here with Perry Eliano. I, I would have to think that recruiting played a part in that. You know, Some high-profile misses over the last couple of years. You know, Caleb Downs was a guy that Ohio State heavily recruited in the class before this 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 current past cycle and he ended up at Alabama and then you know KJ Bolden he's actually related to Perry Eliano and so Ohio State was kind of expected to be a front runner in that recruitment because of that relationship but uh, Ohio State ultimately unable to make that one happen as uh, KJ Bolden initially committed to Florida State and then flipped to Georgia 
on on signing day. But, you know, I think that's certainly a factor in this. It also sounds like Ohio State might already have his replacement lined up, which is probably why Eliano's departure was announced before any other coach because uh, they likely uh, needed to, you know, clear a spot for his eventual replacement. And it sounds like the likely replacement there is going to be Matt Guerreri. Um, I, I believe that was reported by uh, Meet at Midfield was a website that reported that. And I think some other people have uh, corroborated that uh, report as well. And uh, it would be a logical hire. Um, you know, it's not, I mean, I, I can't say that it's a move I would have forecast that they would oust their current safeties coach for a coach who was an analyst two years ago and then left. But Matt Guerrero is somebody who has a long history of working alongside Jim Knowles. Uh, I wrote a story on Matt Guerrero before the Indiana game last year because he he had become the defensive coordinator in Indiana. And, you know, when I asked Jim Knowles about him, he said, you know, Matt's like a son to me or, you know, maybe a, a brother uh, based on age. But uh, he's somebody that Jim Knowles holds in very high regard. He has a history of coaching the safety position. Uh, I know that he was very well liked by both players and recruits when he was at Ohio State in 2022. And so seems like a logical fit if if that's the route Ohio State ultimately goes. Yeah, it makes sense when you consider their history working together. And I, you know, I think Eliano was pretty well liked by players and the recruits he did ultimately get, it seemed like, you know, I, and look, I, I enjoyed working with Perry. He was one of the easiest coaches to get along with, was, you know, one of the few that I've ever really um, worked with at Ohio State you know, on my short time covering the team that was, you know, he, he would just come up and talk to us media members, just see how we were doing. And, you know, I, I wish nothing but the best for Perry. I think, you know, this move, one of the things for me, you know, it's a no brainer when you look at Guerrero's track record with Knowles. I am curious to see if it proves to be an upgrade. I think when you look at Josh Proctor, when you look at some other guys that have come through that Ohio State safeties room, the two years that Eliano was in charge of it, he's done some really good development. And Guerrero, now they're not bringing him in, bringing him in to coordinate. He's, you know, that's still going to be Tim Knowles' job. So, you know, it's how much of this do you take into account? But the fact is, as a defensive coordinator, he did not succeed. The uh, He was a defensive coordinator at Duke for multiple seasons, a co-defensive coordinator in charge of the passing defense. They had one of the nation's worst passing defenses his final year there and took a step back just as an overall defense year to year, pretty much all four. Um, and then he goes, you know, Indiana, when... You know, Kurt Signetti comes in, takes over that position, obviously doesn't retain him um, as co-DC there. So, you know, I, I think obviously they're bringing him in to recruit and develop safeties. So you, you don't take that too much into account. But at the same time, you know, he's also responsible for developing a lot of the players that are responsible for having a good pass defense. And um, he got he got some good guys developed at Duke, you know, uh, Michael Carter being the top example. Uh, now a starting corner with the Jets, but he played safety at Duke. I, I think, you know, he's a younger coach as well. Uh, even if he has a long history with Knowles, he is, uh, you know, he's, he's still fairly young in the profession. I'll be very curious to see how it works out. And, you know, I, I think that I definitely trust 
Knowles and the staff to make these decisions more than I would trust myself. So um, if they think it's an upgrade, then uh, for now, I'm going to trust their judgment. But um, I, I, I just, uh, you know, it's it's one that definitely I was not expecting because safeties were not really an issue for this team this year. As far as at least uh, the end of the day, Tuesday, when we recorded this, uh, no firm news yet on any other staff changes for Ohio State, though, you know, we would still expect that, you know, Corey Dennison, Parker Fleming are not going to be retained for the 2024 season. Uh, you know, all signs are still pointing to Ohio State replacing Dennis uh, by hiring uh, an offensive coordinator slash quarterback coach uh, likely to take over offensive play calling duties. And, you know, Andy wrote about it last week, the idea of Ryan Day hiring you know, quote his Jim Knowles on defense. It does seem as though Ryan Day is moving in that direction. Um, not necessarily a clear front runner for that position yet, but the word has been that, you know, that Ohio State is looking for someone to come in and coordinate the offense and be a leader on that side of a ball of the staff, much like Jim Knowles is defensively. And so uh, we'll see how that ultimately plays out here over the course of a month of January. But, you know, that certainly an important move for Ohio State, as well as whatever Ohio State decides to do in terms of replacing Parker Fleming. You know, I, you know, I think, you know, the expectation has been that Ohio State probably isn't just going to make that a one-for-one move and replace Parker Fleming with another full-time special teams coordinator. Then maybe they, they add a fifth coach on the defensive side of the ball, whether that's a James Laurinaitis, whether that's bringing in uh, someone to help Larry Johnson coach the defensive line and potentially groom that person to succeed Larry Johnson whenever he decides to retire. I think those are both... Uh, Certainly logical strategies that Ohio State could employ, and so we'll see what Ohio State does there. I know one thing that we're not expecting Ohio State to do is hire Mike Vrabel to its staff, which I know uh, there's a lot of people out there. Um, I, I Maybe I shouldn't say a lot, but I think definitely some people in the Ohio State fan base who, uh, when they saw that the Tennessee Titans fired Mike Vrabel on Tuesday, were hoping that might be a pre- precursor to Mike Vrabel returning to Ohio State. I think it is far more likely that Mike Vrabel will get another coaching job in the NFL. Uh, we'll see, you know, did the New England Patriots keep Bill Belichick or would they potentially bring Mike Vrabel back there? I think regardless, I, I think there's going to be teams uh, that are immediately interested in in Mike Vrabel. I mean, it was only two years ago that he was the NFL coach of a year. Uh, so, uh, you know, not not far removed from uh, being very successful uh, as an NFL head coach. And, you know, I've always gotten the impression that Mike Vrabel prefers coaching in the NFL, but he's not necessarily someone who wants to come back to the collegiate level and deal with recruiting and especially with how it's changed since he's been at the collegiate ranks with NIL and the transfer portal and all that. I'm not sure that Mike Vrabel has a lot of interest in wanting to deal with all of that. And so uh, I, I would not expect Mike Vrabel's next stop to be at Ohio State. And Ryan Day is going to be the head coach at Ohio State in 2024. I mean, that plain and simple. Uh, Ted Carter, the new Ohio State president, had a media availability on Monday, which was his first official day on campus. And uh, he was asked about Ryan Day. And, uh, you know, he he started out by talking about how much, you know, the uh, Michigan rivalry is important. 
you know, said without saying it, but it's very important that uh, Ohio State gets back on top in the Michigan rivalry. And then also said, I think Ryan Day would also say that our goals are to win the Big Ten and win the national championship every year. We didn't meet that. But Ryan Day runs a fantastic program. He's our coach. I'm proud that he's our coach and he will continue to be our coach. So if anybody thought that Ted Carter was going to come in and his first order of business was going to be firing Ryan Day, certainly does not look as though this will, that's going to happen. Now, I don't think his comment changes anything we said last week. I mean, he outlined the goals himself. So I think Ryan Day's job could be on the line this upcoming season, particularly if Ohio State loses to Michigan again and or misses the college football playoff but he isn't going anywhere right now yeah i think either of us expected ted carter to come in and say anything in the vein of yeah i don't think ryan day is the right coach for the football team you know um it won't even be his job to say that you know he's going to hire the guy whose job it is to say that he's going to hire the next athletic director at ohio state but you know, I, I think that's exactly what he should have done. You know, if you get asked a question about the head football coach as the university president and he's going to be the coach next season, you absolutely back him. You know, there's no reason not to. Um, you have the question uh, is, will the question is, will Ryan Day fire him? <laughs> that is that is an apt question. You know, shoot. I mean, uh, Urban, Gordon, Urban about Gordon Gee, Jim Trussell reference. A little, right? little Gordon Gee. Yes, that's a. Uh, uh, that's a little before my time, unfortunately, but I, I do know of Igor and Gee, so uh, I, uh, I I can pick up from context exactly what happened there. Yeah, no, it was um, a yeah, uh, it was a it was an interview where he was he was asked uh, in the the uh, tattoo gate of a height of tattoo gate. He was asked if uh, if Jim Trestle would be fired, and he replied, I, "I just hope he doesn't fire me." That was one of of Gordon Gee's famous quotes that I'm sure many of our listeners remember. I'm sure I'm sure they do. I uh, yes, I I, you know, again, I think it's what, you know, Carter should have done in this situation. If you you get a question about the head football coach and, uh, you know, I wouldn't expect anything different on on the Vrabel stuff. Yeah, uh, I don't think recruiting was never his thing, even when he was a college coach, wasn't a fan of that side of the game. Um, the NFL has been much more suited to him, and I don't think either that he's, you know, some some fans have it in their head that he'd be this immediate upgrade as far as, like, you know, I he was let go by the Titans for a reason. I mean, I don't think you want a coach that was just fired coming in to be the next head coach of the team anyway, and it's not like he would take a coordinator job after that. So, um, you know, the, he did overachieve some years with Ryan Tannehill as his quarterback. He also underachieved some years when you have the best running back in the league and a pretty good defense. So he is, you know, I, I think if we were to take that hypothetical seriously, there was no chance Ohio State was ever going to look at Mike Vrabel to come in and take over for Ryan Day this year. But, you know, if they if they were, I think there, there's definitely some drawbacks there that fans can point to. Uh, you know, I think another big news item we should hit on here, uh, Devin Sanchez, huge get. Tim Walton, man, I think he has clearly emerged as the second best recruiter on this staff behind Brian Hartline. Uh, you talk about adding a top 10 overall prospect, number two corner in the country per the composite rankings and a, a big recruiting battle to win, right? And Walton's done it time after time since he's gotten this job. He had two big names in this past recruiting class with Bryce West and Aaron Scott Jr., not to discount Miles Lockhart either. Um, and he's done a great job developing guys. He brought in Davis and Nick Benoson from the transfer portal. This is 
Ohio State, the, the, the whole the BIA standard is kind of back right now. And I think Tim Walton deserves most of the credit for that. He's been a home run hire by Ryan Day and uh, Jim Knowles. And, uh, you know, this is a guy that, you know, just last year, I think there were some fans calling for him to be tarmacked. So there, uh, there has been uh, what a year it's been for Tim Walton and what a get Devin Sanchez is for Ohio State. Yeah, Tim Walton stocks are high right now. I, I think Tim Walton... Uh, I mean, just just talk to anyone about him. I mean, you talk to the players, you talk to the recruits. Uh, they love Tim Walton, and I think he's done a great job, both in terms of developing the cornerbacks on the field, as well as building relationships with them off the field. And I think certainly when you when you talk about recruiting, I mean, both those things are important. I think a Devin Sanchez looks at the way a Denzel Burke played this past year. And that certainly plays a big part in his decision to become a Buckeye. But I think a lot of it just stems from that relationship that Tim Walton has has built with him and that trust that they have in one another. And so, uh, yeah, certainly a huge get. Uh, Devin Sanchez, uh, one of the highest rated cornerbacks that has ever committed to Ohio State, a you know bo- bona fide five star top 10 prospect. Uh, somebody who, when you when you project ahead to you know whatever he decides today, you know, Denzel Burke, knowing that he won't be on the roster anymore in 2025, not saying that Devin Sanchez is necessarily going to be a Denzel Burke and come in and start as a true freshman, but he's a guy that has that kind of talent that he's going to push for playing time right away, and so certainly. Uh, the state of the cornerback room, I mean, we talked about it when we were talking about the state of a roster a couple of weeks ago, and I think we'd probably still say it right now, especially, you know, while we're still at a point where Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock could both potentially come back. I would say right now that I think the cornerback room is probably the strongest position on Ohio State's roster, and this is just one more move to fortify that for the future. Absolutely. You know, I they it's like I said, they they have that BIA thing. It hadn't been true for several years. It's probably going to be true this year if they get Denzel and Jordan back. I mean, I can't imagine a better group of corners in the country. They were already among the best this year. I think Denzel Burke will be an obvious candidate for the Thorpe Award. There's a lot of things the defense as a whole can achieve if they get the rest of the pieces they want to get back back. I mean, even if you just even say JT goes pro, you get Jordan and Denzel. I mean, that would be crazy to get back um, given you just have one of the best defenses in college football this year. So, um, you know, that that's, again, something to talk a little more as we start preparing, getting into the spring uh, for next season. But it's I, I there's a lot of reason to be excited for next year's Ohio State defense and now the future of the cornerbacks room uh, when you talk about what Walton has done over the past few years. You know, I, I think uh, do we do we want to touch do we want to touch on the Buckeye 20 here, Dan, a little bit? Yeah, if you haven't, if you haven't already, uh, go to 11warriors.com and check out the final edition of the Buckeye 20 for 2023 as uh, we collectively, Andy and I and the rest of our staff, uh, ranked Ohio State's top 20 players of of 2023. Uh, To give a little preview of that, uh, the, the top four were unchanged from the end of a regular season. Marvin Harrison Jr. coming in as Ohio State's best player of 2023. 
Denzel Burke coming in at number two, Travion Henderson coming in at number three, and Tyleek Williams coming in at number four. The big move on uh, the final rankings update of the year was Jack Sawyer, who jumped all yeah. the way up to number five. And I know Andy has been beating that drum for a long time that Jack Sawyer uh, should have been ranked higher on the Buckeye 20. And uh, I think the full staff uh, finally came around to where Andy was after that dominant Cotton Bowl performance in which Jack Sawyer had three sacks. Uh, certainly no argument for me that Jack Sawyer belongs in the top five of the Buckeye 20. Uh, I think, you know, the way he played, I, think, I mean, I think if you're just the last three games of a season, if you were taking that stretch, if we were picking who was Ohio State's best player in that three game stretch, I think we'd probably both agree that it was Jack Sawyer. So Jack Sawyer, uh, his stocks are, an, are another stock that I think is very much rising going into 2024 and a senior season where if he can play at that level all year long, I think he has very real All-American potential. And we will see if that ultimately comes to fruition. Knowing that you do agree with Jack Sawyer, I will just ask you in general, uh, we'll 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 kind of leave the rest of a list for people to go to Eleven Warriors and check it out. But is there anything else in the in the top twenty that either really stood out to you, or that maybe you disagreed with a little bit? Yeah, you know, um, I, I think that nothing too much to disagree with on here. Um, you know, I, I think that one thing I will say, I thought Matt Jones was the best offensive lineman over the course of the season for Ohio state. Uh, only offensive lineman to even make the Buckeye 20 was Donovan Jackson. He was at 20. I think that reflects on just how, you know, low Ohio state fans are and our staff is at coming out of this, you know, cotton bowl and with good reason. But to me, I think Matt Jones was the most consistent offensive lineman they had all year. Um, I put him ahead of Donovan personally on mine, although I think they were only separated by a spot. I had Jack Sawyer three, by the way, I, I, uh, you know, I want, I want to take my victory lap on one thing I was right about from this season amongst the sea of things I was also wrong about. So, uh, Jack Sawyer, that, that man was, uh, he did all the dirty work and he finally got some sack production and everyone realized how good he is. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the things that stands out for me. Also just how far Tommy Eichenberg has fallen by the end of the year. And I, I think all of it has to do with injury. Unfortunately, uh, not a guy that, you know, he, he didn't play well in the Michigan game, but it was because he was playing with one arm and you admire a guy's toughness for sticking that out. But also I, I think the staff needed to realize what was going on there and say, Hey, go get surgery. He, he got that after this regular season. But I, I think, you know, as much as you want your captain of the defense, your star middle linebacker on the field, when you're playing Michigan, if he's compromised and he's having to try to tackle people with one arm, unfortunately that's not Tommy Eichenberg out there. That's, you know, a one-armed linebacker. So uh, it's, uh, I think it's not any necessarily any uh, fault of Tommy's that he fell other than, you know, playing through the injury, I guess. But I, th I think kind of just how the, end of the year ended the guys that rise above him they make sense a uh, big shout out to josh proctor too, a guy i was on all year and wrote one of my favorite stories about coming out of that cotton bowl just of his ohio state journey and how it all played out so I, i'd say those are my biggest takeaways yeah i think the biggest thing that stuck out to me was of the top 18 players on the list 14 of them were on the defensive side of the ball and i think that reflects the fact that you know for the first time in quite some time the defense was clearly the strength of Ohio State's football team this year. And even the fact 
the, the thing that's interesting is there's 18, 14 of the top 18 are on defense, but four of the top eight were on offense. And so Ohio State had that offensive star power with Marvin Harrison Jr., Travion Henderson, Emeka, Buka, Cade Stover. And going back to what we talked about last week when I talked about my biggest disappointment for the season, you know, that's the disappointing thing is they had four legitimate stars on offense this year. Granted, Travion missed some time with injuries. Emeka missed some time with injuries and never quite hit his full form. But, you know, when they were fully healthy, they had four legitimate stars at the offensive skill positions this year. And they didn't have a lot to show for it. One, because the offensive line play was not great. Two, because they had inconsistent quarterback play from Kyle McCord. And three, maybe just the fact that Ryan Day had so much on his plate that they weren't getting the best out of the talent they had with their offensive game planning. And so uh, I think that's really what stuck out to me was the fact that, you know, you look at that nine through 18 on the list, it's all defensive players. And I think. The defense this year was very well-rounded. It was very complete. You know, there, there's not one unit you looked at this year and went, that was a clear weakness on this defense. On the offense, there certainly was. And that's why Ohio State ultimately didn't achieve its goals was the fact that it uh, just didn't have enough great players on offense this season. And, you know, that's a big reason why they've added four offensive players through the transfer portal over the last couple of weeks. Last thing before we get out of here, big week ahead for Ohio State men's basketball at home versus Wisconsin on Wednesday, on the road at Michigan on Monday. Buckeyes looking to bounce back from a loss at Indiana on Saturday. What do you think, Andy? Will the Buckeyes bounce back this week? You know, I, I think this is a pivotal week for them to take at least one of these games. I, expecting them to win both might be asking a lot. I mean, this is a really, really good Wisconsin team as it stands who returns. You know, Chris Holtman said it in the press conference Tuesday, 92% of their scoring production from last year and what was already a decent Wisconsin team. And so, so much experience there. They're going to play a very slow style of play. If you look at Kim Palm's rankings, it, it, they're number seven in offensive efficiency. Points per 100 possessions really is what that stat boils down to, although Kim Palm adjusts for opponents and things like that. Uh, And then tempo, the number of possessions they have per 40 minutes, they are 318th. So you're talking about one of the 10 most efficient offenses in the country, but they play at one of the 50 slowest paces in the country. So um, this is an offense that really likes to take their time and execute in the half court. Uh, It's going to test Ohio State's discipline in that area. They don't turn the ball over much. So really, it's going to be about execution, finding shots for Ohio State and working on some of those areas that hurt them in that Indiana game. Uh, When you talk about boneheaded turnovers, Roddy Gale Jr. after his huge 32 point outing against West Virginia has had a couple of rough games in a row. He needs to pick it back up. I think Bruce Thornton needs to find his rhythm again. And, you know, I think Ohio State had an abnormally bad shooting night against Indiana, too. That's something that I don't expect to continue. But the other things that you can control a little more, you know, the turnovers and uh, Holtman wants to see him play better defense too. Those are the main 
issues that you want to see corrected in this Wisconsin game. And then, you know, you go to the road, you go on the road, and Michigan's going to be honoring the football team in all likelihood. It's the first home basketball game since Michigan's national championship victory. Uh, in all likelihood, Ohio State basketball team is going to have to sit there and watch uh, Michigan's football team be honored in front of the home fans there. Uh, so uh, that that's going to be there's going to be some emotions involved in that maybe, but then you know actual game Ohio State has that 11 game road losing streak, uh, so you need to find a way to snap that. Uh, and in what I'm sure will be another raucous environment, just like Penn State and Indiana earlier this season, uh, can you come through? Can you finally find a way to win on the road uh, in this conference? Because if you can't, it's really hurting your tournament aspirations here. Um, if you can't break through and win a few on the road, uh, it's hard to expect that you'll win every game at home. And you really need to be above 500 in conference play, I think, to achieve the things you want to achieve. So I think two really key games for Ohio State this week and need to take need to see them take one of them to kind of maintain some of the momentum they built in stretches of November and December. Ohio State's got to beat Michigan, man. I mean, I mean, Ohio State, I, I feel like the Ohio State and the entire Ohio State athletic department needs Ohio State to win that game against Michigan. I mean, Michigan's six and nine this year. They just lost to McNeese a week or two ago. That's a game Ohio State's got to win. Uh, I think Wednesday's game against Wisconsin is a toss-up to me. I could see it going either way, but they got to snap that road losing streak on Monday. I think, uh, you know, I think the Wisconsin game may be more telling in terms of Ohio State playing a ranked opponent and how well Ohio State can go toe-to-toe with one of the best teams in the Big Ten, but I think the more important win is winning that game against Michigan because Ohio State's athletic department in general needs a rivalry win right now. And the way Michigan has played so far this year, if Ohio State loses that one and goes to 12 straight losses on the road, that would be a bad one. There's going to be a lot of apathy from the fan base if they lose that one. I'll, I'll tell you that. I think there's already some apathy right now. And, and you know, that's just the unfortunate fact of the matter. Um, this this is a prove it year for Holtman. And, uh, you know, he's, he's talked about that some. I, I, th- I think, you know, they, they've got a, a win against Wisconsin and at Michigan would really build a ton of momentum this week. Um, and I think start to really draw some crowds out to the shot. But if you, you know, if you fall at Michigan, like you said, it's just another like, here, here you go again. You know, this is another new year collapse, I guess you could say. But, um, you know, they I, I think this team is better structured to handle those things. They have better veteran leadership, better depth than they've had in the past. The question is, can they capitalize on it? Can they use these pieces and actually start to build toward a postseason run, which is ultimately what you want, right? It, it's it's all building toward March in this sport. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's these next two games are very important for that. Well, we'll see how the next week goes for Ohio State basketball. Certainly expect plenty more news on the Ohio State football front as by the next time we'll be talking to you, the NFL draft deadline will have passed. Certainly the possibility for more coaching changes to come as well. And so we will talk about all of that on our next episode of Real Pod Wednesdays, and we hope you join us, Ben.